friends. Welcome to the podcast from History to Our Story. My name is Ash Benoist. And I'm CJ Deering. Please join us as we take a look at history, add some footnotes, parentheticals, and diverse figures to take us from history to our story. So we're going to cover the 442nd Regiment Infantry Division. It is the most decorated military unit in the U.S. history, and it's comprised entirely of Asian Americans, Interesting. which okay. is why I was planning on having this drop on May 1st, but because I'm an idiot and I f***ed up, it's dropping <laughs> April 15th. You're welcome, everybody. Oh, well. I know. So here we go. So on December 7th, 1941, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, killing thousands of Americans and propelling the U.S. into the throes of World War II. Although the U.S. had avoided engaging in the World War prior to this, there were a lot of sources of international tension between Japan and the U.S. for like the decades leading up to it. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely a surprise sneak attack. It happened at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning, but it wasn't like too terribly surprising given the relations between the U.S. and Japan. Okay. So it's worth noting here that at that time, Hawaii wasn't technically a U.S. state yet. It became a U.S. territory in 1900, but it did not become a state until 1959. So when the attack happened in 1941, the Japanese were the largest ethnic group in Hawaii, but it was not technically a U.S. state at the time. Okay, I didn't know that about Japanese people being the largest ethnic group in Hawaii. It was, yeah. They made up like something like 40% of the population. So yeah, so they were the largest ethnic group in Hawaii. Interesting. Making up 40%. Yeah, and it was um, this Japanese community known as Nisei. So the Nisei were second generation Japanese Americans. Okay. And along with everyone else in Hawaii, it was this Japanese community that responded to the emergency as it was happening at Pearl Harbor. So they helped the wounded. They stood guard. They buried the dead. They donated blood. They did whatever they could do to help their community. And they were actually part of a Hawaii territorial guard that had Nisei cadets. So the cadets went through the University of Hawaii's like ROTC program, which stands for Reserve Officer Training Corps. The day of the Pearl Harbor attack, Japanese airships killed over 2,400 soldiers and civilians, over 20 American ships, and over 300 airplanes were destroyed or damaged. The next day, President Roosevelt moved forward with officially declaring war on Japan. And about a month later, on January 19, 1942, the Hawaii Territorial Guard was disbanded because there was a lot of racism, a lot of mistrust. Like, basically, the U.S. generally thought that, like, all Japanese people were, like, spies. Mm-hmm. That tracks. That tracks. Oh, yeah. Because, like, so they disbanded that Hawaii Territorial Guard, and then they reformed it the very next day, excluding the people of Japanese descent. <clears throat> yeah, like it like, doesn't pass the sniff test, hmm. like 100% racism there. Yeah. So by March 1942, all Japanese men of draft age were designated as IVC or, quote, enemy aliens, meaning that they couldn't enlist in the armed forces. So like that's how extreme they went. Like they weren't even taking like able-bodied men to fight in the war. Hmm. Um, but the Japanese men at the University of Hawaii kept doing their part. They uh, basically formed like a civilian volunteer corps called the the varsity 
Varsity Victory Volunteers, or the Triple V, they performed manual labor to support the U.S. Army. So they would build barracks, dig ditches, uh, work at rock quarries, resurface roads, and they did all of that throughout 1942. Mm -hmm. Um, So in 1942, President Roosevelt also issued Executive Order 9066, which put over 110,000 American citizens with Japanese heritage into incarceration camps. And not all 100,000 prisoners were technically American citizens, but at least like 70,000 of them were. Mm -hmm. And this was done for, quote, every possible protection against espionage and against sabotage to national defense, end quote. Like, I literally looked up the executive order and looked at the wording, like, not once in there does it mention, like, Japanese people, but it's like, it's literally just like anybody who could be, like, committing espionage or sabotage. Yeah, that's really scary yeah and like you could do it without charging them with anything without any allegations like all japanese americans were relocated and forcibly detained in incarceration camps and this executive order allowed this secretary of war and his commanders to like designate military areas and then like as they see fit exclude like these dangerous persons from those areas so um and the secretary of war could impose this at his discretion So the fact that like so it didn't even say like you can round up people who are going to commit espionage and put them in these camps. It was literally like you can exclude them from military zones. And then it was interpreted interpreted in such a way that they rounded up all the Japanese Americans and put them in these awful camps. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. So he could I mean, I guess to a certain extent, it did say he could force any person to, quote, enter, remain in or leave the military area. So that's just where that interpretation came from. But it was so alarmingly vague, like basically like we all know who the president is is referring to. So we're just going to lock them all up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, similar to what's happening in Florida. Yeah. It's just like it's insane. It's really wild. And then (laughs) Japanese Americans had everything taken away from them. At the time of this executive order, Japanese American families produced more than 10 percent of California's farm resources. So that just kind of tells you like how important they were for the economy and the racism you know, did not develop overnight. In 1913, California passed an act restricting land ownership to those eligible to be citizens. So like if you were like a first generation or if you weren't a citizen yet, you couldn't buy land. In 1922, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the government's right to deny citizenship to Japanese immigrants specifically. And then the attack on December 7th, 1942, just kind of inflamed the racism that was already ablaze. So these families were given 48 hours notice and then forcibly removed from their homes and relocated to incarceration camps. These camps were isolated in the middle of nowhere. They were fenced under guard like the guards had like machine guns. And these families were taken without any criminal charges against them. And there was no way to appeal the decision, no way to fight the decision. And failing to comply with the relocation was a misdemeanor punishable up to one year in prison and a $5,000 fine. Can you imagine if... Like, our grandparents' generation had, like, gone to college in Japan or something, and 100,000 Americans were all put into concentration camps in Japan. Yeah. The way that no one would ever live that down. Mm -hmm. Like, I just am so amazed that other countries are able to forgive us well, for things like that like how does japan have any sort of positive well, you know, and like, i mean even taking that a step that? further like imagine your grandfather went over there for college but then built a career there owned a house there built a business to there society. yeah and then all of that was taken away right because it's yeah. it's like it's you know like generational wealth was stripped from them you know what i mean yeah. it's just like and i mean and the fact that they're 
I mean, it was 10% of California's farming resources were farmed by Japanese Americans. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so much wealth just gone with 48 hours notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And general racism and hatred towards Japanese Americans really went wild. Like the general public and the U.S. government thought Japanese Americans were spies for the Japanese government. But in reality, Japanese Americans were just as angry over the attacks, just as hurt um, over the attacks that were on their country, like referring to the U.S. and Pearl Harbor. You know, they saw themselves on that side of the line. And more so upset because they knew. I mean, I guarantee you they knew. Like, oh, great. Like. Like everyone, what's going to happen to them? You gonna, mean everyone's going to think that that's me because that's what I look like, right? You know, and you can't. It's like you can't be not Japanese, right? Well, it's also very reminiscent of like nine eleven, right? Like mm-hmm. I remember after nine eleven, like everybody was suspicious of anybody who even looked Middle Eastern, right? Right. And like, all of a sudden, even like Indian people. Yes, like, I was going to say, like, and oh all of a sudden, God. like a whole region of the world was lumped into one. Organization, criminal organization, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? And all of the the racism and the slurs and the dirty looks and, you know, yeah, and all that stuff. bullying at school. Yeah. Because kids, kids repeat all that stuff, too. Oh, it's yeah. so sad. And, and you would think, you know, in 2001, we were a little more aware about how bad that kind of stuff is versus, you know, the 1940s. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. it must have been game. horrible. Yeah. And the government had wanted to also, like, relocate the Japanese community in Hawaii, but that was over 150,000 people, and logistically it just wasn't feasible. You know, first of all, the cost of transporting that many people would be astronomical, right, going from Hawaii, which is, like, halfway between here and Japan, mm-hmm. all the way to the U.S., and also the economy relied heavily on the Japanese community because, like I said, it was, like, 40% of the entire population, so that's a huge amount of the workforce that that you would be taking away from the island communities. Mm-hmm. From a very superficial perspective, they were moving entire families away from military areas. Like, that was the excuse they were using, But entire families were put into these camps and they were kept in tar paper barracks, which I had to look up. It's basically like it's a you build a frame and then you cover it in tar paper. There's no plumbing. There's no cooking facilities. And it's that's that's where they were living. Mm -hmm. And in spaces that were designed to accommodate four people, they would be shoving like 25 people in there. So, you know. Disease was rampant. Um, there was no privacy. Family dynamics got all screwed up. And they were being put in these like 20 by 20 foot rooms. They have shared bathrooms, showers and laundry. And I mean, disease was just rampant. Mm-hmm. And it also damaged the traditional social structure of the Japanese community. Before the war, the family was like the key social unit for Japanese Americans with the patriarch or the male figure being the leader of the family. The war put a lot of pressure on family units just by the extreme living conditions placed on them. But at the same time, you also like it's not like the men could really work. Right. So you have like these, quote, domestic duties or these like traditionally like feminine duties that are now being split by everybody in the household. So that threw off the dynamic. But then at the same time, the government was like systematically destroying the community. Neighbors, friends and extended families were like separated because they went to different camps. But then within the camps, organizations like the Japanese American Citizens League encouraged second generation Japanese Americans to kind of go against their parents and their grandparents. They would promote American propaganda. Um, They would encourage them to kind of like cut their cultural ties. And it only served to increase the disconnectedness like already growing in the Japanese American community. And so what you had was these different attitudes 
towards loyalty and tradition, and it just tore the Japanese-American families apart. About one year after the attack on February 1st, 1943, President Roosevelt activated the 442nd Regimental Infantry. The U.S. government asked for 1,500 volunteers from Hawaii, and about 10,000 men answered the call, many of them from the Triple V. And again, this is a unit specifically for, like, Asian Americans, or in this case, Japanese Americans. Mm -hmm. And from the mainland, they were hoping for 3,000 volunteers, but they actually got less than 1,200. And that's most likely because of the difference in how they were being treated. Like, even though both sides experienced racism and bigotry, the Japanese Americans in the mainland were the ones that were, like, stripped of their homes and their jobs. Exactly. Why would I fight for you? Exactly. I mean, at this point, I wouldn't want to go to war for the U.S. because of how I feel like I've been treated by the U.S.? Yeah. I can't imagine yeah. the anger and resentment I would feel if, you know. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and then Japanese Americans in Hawaii, you know, even though they're going through the racism and the hatred, they're not going through that imprisonment. They're still able to work, that sort of thing. And they still they still have their land. I can't remember because they weren't forced into any. No. So, like, there were certain freedoms, like, for example, like the ROTC group got disbanded, but they could still, like, go work their normal jobs. Like, it just okay. didn't make sense. Like, because of the way the economy was set up and geographically where it's located, it just didn't make sense to pull those people from, like, your normal right. okay, American yeah, community. Yeah. So their lives, yeah. like, they were obviously feeling the effects, but... Yes, but not anywhere near to the yeah. extent that the mainlanders were. Mm-hmm. And despite the racism and the hatred, Japanese Americans answered the call and went to war on behalf of the country that took so much from them, but was theirs nonetheless. The regiment was made up of second-generation Japanese Americans, again called the Nisei. And most of them came from Hawaii and the rest came from the mainland. The motto for the unit was go for broke, a phrase that meant like you put everything on the line in an effort to win big, like no risk, no reward, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. At this time, there were other minority groups of soldiers, specifically the 100th Infantry Battalion, which was another Japanese American unit. And in fact, while the 442nd was in training, like they're learning their combat skills and how to function as a team, men were being pulled from that group to go to like replace those in the 100th Infantry Battalion. Okay. So, because they're both Japanese-American units. And the 442nd completed their training in April of 1944, and then they were sent to Europe. And they were fighting in Italy side-by-side with other all-Japanese units against German soldiers in the Italian countryside. Eventually, the two Japanese units combined into one unit under the 442nd designation. They also fought alongside an all-black unit known as the 92nd Infantry Division. And, like, I'm very familiar with the concept of segregation, right? And I know in the 1940s it was still a really big thing. But it still kind of surprised me, like, how heavily segregated these units were, right? Like, you have all Japanese units, all black units. So it wasn't just, like, white and non-white. It was, like, also broken up even further into different racial identities. And I don't know. I mean, that definitely says a lot about how, like, our inherent biases run really, really deep. But it just kind of struck me as odd that it that it that they were that categorized. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the like you don't even have the Japanese and and the black units mixing together. Like mm-hmm. it's completely separate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I have to think that that's strategic because you don't want anybody getting any ideas. Yeah, well, yeah, and I wonder too how much of it is like how how much those groups were prejudice against each other too do you know what i mean i don't i mean i don't know yeah, enough I'm to know sure they're you know it's like how colorism exists like, yeah you know, like i obviously don't know anything about that as a white person i can't really speak to that 
you know, uh, confidently, but I have heard that, that, you know, like there's even racism within. Yeah. Which is just. And I mean, it does make sense uh, too, because they do talk about how for the 442nd, like in the beginning when they were still training, there was a lot of tension like in terms of like your identity, a lot of tension even amongst the Japanese Americans. So like basically the Islanders and the mainlanders were also separated and like hating on each other and not getting along and always fighting. Yeah. Like the Islanders were called Buddha heads, which might be related to the Japanese word for pig, which is Buta, B-U-T-A. Or it could be referring to Buddhist monks. Like nobody really knows. Yeah. And then the mainlanders were called Katonks. Uh, which it refers to like the hollow sound their heads made when they hit the ground when they were f- like in a fist fight. What? <laughs> That's so mean. I know. No, none of these are great. Like, obviously, their heads are not empty. Yeah, I know. So like, so yeah. Come and then on. like, there was also like a difference, like even in the way they spoke, like mainlanders were more likely to use formal standard English while mm-hmm. the islanders had like, a pidgin language that was like a combination of Hawaiian, Japanese, Portuguese, Chinese, and English. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. the islanders kind of came, like, were described, I should say, as like impulsive and crude, and um, they gambled a lot, where the mainlanders were like sullen and unfriendly. But like at the same time, it's like, well, the mainlanders yeah. also had just gone through some shit. They had no fun. I know. Like, where were they going to gamble? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then the islanders, like, so like the mainlanders would be sending what rations they got to their families, right, in the camps, in the concentration camps. Yeah. And then the islanders would be most likely be receiving money from their relatives on the islands who yeah, are still working. Working. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, well, of course, one was sullen and unfriendly and the other ones were like, quote, crude and yeah. gamblers. Like, Right. Yeah. You'd be in a bad mood, too. Yeah. I, I will say, though, like at some point, someone in the army had the idea to send the islanders to go like see an internment camp mm. and like that apparently like when they get there they expect to see just like a small town of japanese americans but no it's fenced in and there's tar barracks and people with machine guns and obviously it looks like hell on earth and it's interesting because it's the same thing that we say we're fighting the germans for i know and we're then, doing it well yeah and so i guess after this they became like a cohesive unit and they're really united but it's also like what d-bag in the army was like i know what's gonna make these guys click like let's show yeah. them how poorly we're treating their let's friends let them trauma bond yeah yeah. yeah, that'll help. I was like, whose idea was this, and how did they think it was okay to like yeah. just k- keep treating those people? Like, obviously, you know, you know, on some inherent level, it's bad because you know it's going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I exactly. mean? And then, but it's like, well, we're just going to reload our machine guns every day and have at it. Like, mm-hmm. I was literally, I was like, what? This yeah. is so f- up. it's like, messed up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And uh, so anyway, so in 1944, the all Japanese battalion is thrown into the invasion of southern France and they help liberate French cities from Nazi control. And they go on to become the most decorated unit in U.S. history for its size and length of service. So it's all relative. I mean, that being said, you'll see they get a crap ton of awards like they're really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. So even before the 100th combined with the 442nd. It had collected like a considerable amount of medals and recognition, but for the 442nd specifically, between the 18,000 Asian American men who made up the unit, there are over 4,000 Purple Hearts, which you get um, if you're wounded or killed while serving. Mm-hmm. There's 4,000 Bronze Stars, which you get for heroic achievement, heroic service in a combat zone. Mm-hmm. 
560 silver star medals, which is the third highest military decoration for valor in combat, and um, 21 medals of honor, which is the highest military award for valor, and seven presidential unit citations, which are awarded to units of the uniformed services for extraordinary heroism in action against an armed enemy. Hmm. Overall, over 30,000 Japanese Americans served with distinction in World War II in segregated units. In 2010, a congressional act was passed that awarded all members of the 100th Infantry Battalion and the 442nd Regimental Combat Team with the Congressional Gold Medal for their heroic and dedicated service in World War II. Even though their fellow Americans had taken their business generational wealth, took their homes and placed them in concentration camps, met them with racism and suspicion. The men of the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, these men of Japanese descent, fought bravely for their country, the United States of America. They fought for freedom and democracy, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't take some time this month to see these men appreciate their accomplishments and learn their story. And again, this is dropping on April 15th, so make sure the rest of April and all of May you think of them and appreciate their accomplishments and learn their story and share it with others. So what happened to the 100 plus thousand Japanese Americans that were imprisoned during World War II? Well, in 1944, the incarceration program was unofficially rescinded. By 1946, all the camps were closed. And during this two-year limbo, they were basically like moved into temporary housing. Like very little support was actually given. Obviously. Yes. As we do here. Yeah. And of course, when the men and women and children tried to return to their pre-war lives, the damage was permanent. Like their jobs were already filled by other people. Their homes were already taken by other people. Their property was already, you know, seized and lost to them. And it wasn't until 1976 when the executive order that established the process for the incarceration was officially rescinded and acknowledged as a national mistake. Who was president then? I have a guess. Oh, geez. I have a guess that he would have done that because he's nice. President in 1976. My guess is Jimmy Carter. Oh, Gerald Ford. Wow. Yeah. It sounded like something Jimmy Carter would do. In 1988, after further investigation and education, each surviving attorney was given $20,000, which is really, (sighs) I mean, laughable. It really is. Yeah. And I mean, really, there's no amount of money that can make it right. But in case you're curious, the commission did investigate like what the estimated loss was. They estimated the property loss was valued at one. And this is in 1983 or sorry. No, yeah. 1983 U.S. dollars. Okay, Mm -hmm. so not even like. Yeah. Property loss was $1.3 billion, and the net income loss was estimated at $2.7 billion. Man. Yeah. So imagine what that would be in, like, today's money, like, relatively speaking. And generationally built upon. Exactly. And today, each of the incarceration camps, there was 10 of them across various states, each of them has been preserved as historical landmarks and used to educate the public on the forcible detainment of Japanese Americans who deserve to be remembered and recognized. That's it. This episode was researched and written by... Aspen Oist, audio and music edited by C.J. Deering, logo designed by Ryan Vicario. From History to Our Story is a Ben Ear production. Brand new introduction! <laughs> Brand new.